Welcome to Teachings and Doctrines of the Book of Mormon podcast class. This is class number 12, continuing our study of the book of Helaman, in that the days before the first coming of Christ in America are like the days before the second coming. Therefore, the problems that surfaced in the days of Helaman are a pattern of the problems of our day. Today, we talk about pride and prosperity and the pride cycle. As you listen, would you ask yourself, what are the shortcuts? And are you going to shortcut through the pride cycle? So our premise has been, and I testify with all my soul, that one of the gifts of the Book of Mormon is it is a pattern of the days before the second coming. When Jesus came to Jerusalem, that was a very different coming than coming to, Jer- to America. When he came to America, it was a pattern of the second coming, shaking the earth, the darkness, Jesus coming down. Therefore, the days before his first coming to America are one of the greatest commentaries you'll ever find on the days in which you're going to raise your children. It is a powerful way to prepare for the future. The book of Helaman is a tremendous insight into the days you're living in and the days you're going to live in. So we have been talking about two, we've we've done two challenges that we see in Helaman. And there's a lot. We could spend a lifetime in Helaman. But the first one, we talked about war. But the pattern of war in Helaman is very different than the pattern of war in Alma, isn't it? They make it to Zarahemla. And I think that we've, we saw enough prophecies to show that I think Helaman is talking about wars of the heart, wars of issues of the heart. And that's what we're fighting over today. I guarantee every couple you've seen divorce, divorced over what? An issue of the heart. Now the antidote, what Moroniah couldn't do with the sword, Nephi did with the gospel. The answer is always found in the gospel. The second one was secret combinations, or maybe secret combination. So we talked about that last week. How do we deal, what are the secret combinations, or what is the secret combination that we're gonna deal with in our day, and what's the antidote? So now let me suggest a third one. Most of my life, I thought that the latter days were about scarcity. I thought the reason we needed um, food storage is because the days ahead are days of scarcity. And I know there will always be days of scarcity, but if the Book of Mormon is a pattern of the days ahead, that is a very different pattern than what I thought the future brought. So go to Helaman chapter 6. After Nephi and Lehi come back, after they end the war, there's no longer a war between Nephites and Lamanites. So what can they do now? What can Nephites and Lamanites do now that they're not fighting with each other? All right, chapter chapter six, let's go to verse, starting in verse seven. There was peace in in all the land, insomuch that the Nephites did go into whatsoever part of the land that they would, whether among the Nephites or the Lamanites. And it came to pass that the Lamanites did also go whithersoever they would, whether it were among the Nephi, the Lamanites were among the Nephites, and thus they did have free intercourse with one another to buy and to sell and to get gain according to their desire. What's about to happen in all the land? Cha-ching. 
cha-ching. And that is one of the greatest challenges we have to deal with. Because what almost always, no, notice verse 9, what almost always follows that phrase right there. As soon as the Nephites become exceedingly rich, what's almost always the, the, the natural consequence? What word starts creeping in as soon as you see rich? Pride. And this is where Mormon takes over. Jump to chapter 12. After watching this throughout the whole book of Helaman, Mormon says, I've got a comment on this. Very rarely does Mormon insert himself so boldly as he does right here in chapter 12. This is not the story at all. This is Mormon making a comment in the book of Helaman, which is a pattern of our day. And so... Verse 2, that's where we're going to start off. So let's start to draw this. Let me suggest that there is a cycle of pride that the Book of Mormon teaches. And I know you're not unfamiliar with that. The Book of Mormon's pride cycle. So let's draw it. And let's draw it as it applies to all of our lives. So I'm going to start right here. Like a big pride cycle. I'm going to start right at the top with righteousness. Let's start with righteousness. What happens when anyone chooses to be righteous? Anywhere under any circumstance. If you choose, to re right if you choose righteousness, blessings follow. Now that's not your agency, that's God. If you are righteous, he blesses. And then he blesses to a point, and I'm going to put this in a box, and you're going to see why it's in a box in just a minute. Blessings are poured out until we hit this magical stage in our life called prosperity. If I read the book of Helaman correctly, your biggest challenge ahead is not scarcity. It's prosperity. You are going to live in a prosperous society. Now, here's the warning. So much so that Mormon inserts an entire chapter. He, he pauses on the story and says, can I comment on this for an entire chapter? Let's read verse 2. Helaman chapter 12, verse 2. Anyone want to read? Abby, be my reader. Okay, stop right there. In other words, prosperity usually leads to pride. And pride causes people to turn against God and leads to sin. And we've gone from righteousness to sin because why? Because he blessed us. 
We've turned against God because he blessed us. That is the dumbest thing in the world. And only his children do it. No other creation does it. Only his children turn against him because he blessed them. And if you want a prophecy of the latter days, people are turning against God because he's made their life prosperous. He's brought so many good things into our society. He's made our lives easier than our ancestors ever had it. And because our lives are easy and prosperous, we do what? We turn against him. It is the dumbest aspect of human beings. He blesses us and we turn against him. Now, here's the reality. Sin always, and I'm going to draw another box here, always leads to pain. That doesn't mean all pain comes from sin. Let me be clear. There is a pain associated with mortality. And just because life is painful doesn't mean we're sinning. But sin leads to pain in one form or another. And now we're back to another decision point. What do you do in pain? If you're going to forget God, it's going to lead to pain. Let's read verse 3. If that's how you want to play the game, if you are going to turn against God because he blessed you, then you leave him no choice but to do what? Ashley, would you read verse 3? You chose that course. If you are going to turn against God because he blesses you, you leave him no choice but then to draw you back to him by the opposite of prosperity, and that's pain. Sin always leads to pain. Now, hopefully, what does pain lead to? The natural response is when people are hungry, they do what? They're humble. When they're in pain, they're humble. Because now they need a higher power. Because clearly they can't take care of themselves anymore. And now they need a higher power. Pain leads to humility. Humility usually leads to repentance. Which leads to righteousness. And we cycle again and again through, this, through it. So the reason I draw true boxes is because I see that those are the decision moments. Those are the moments of decision. And I think the great question of your life, the great question you're going to have to answer from this moment on is what do you do in prosperity and what do you do in pain? Now, the very fact that this is in the Book of Mormon is begging what? Tell me what Mormon is begging us to do. Is he just simply saying, this is a reality, deal with it? Or is he asking us to do something? I think the Book of Mormon is saying, do you see a shortcut? Are you smart enough to avoid the mistakes of the past? And do you see a shortcut? Does anyone see a shortcut? What's the shortcut here? It's a very simple shortcut. What is it? Did anyone see it? Emma, do you see it? What if prosperity made you humble? 
What would happen if prosperity humbled you instead of made you proud? What would you avoid? You would avoid pride, sin, and pain. There are two shortcuts through here. Let me show you both. Shortcut number one, the good shortcut, is when prosperity leads to humility. And there's a lot of forms. That takes a lot of forms. Remembering God, remembering the greatness of God is one of the forms it takes. So let me show you. Let me show you the Nephite cycle through the shortcut. Ready? Go back just a few. Go back to, he, uh, to Alma chapter 63, the end of the war. Now tell me that war wasn't a painful experience. The war chapters were a painful experience. So what do you think is going to happen when they hit prosperity? Go to Helaman chapter 63. We don't have to go very far. Helaman 63. All right, right there. No, 62. Sorry, Helaman 62. 62. Let's go to the very end. And Alma, Alma 62. Now, after the war chapters, which were very painful, they start to... It came to pass, the people of Nephi began to prosper again in the land. They began to multiply and to wax exceedingly strong again in the land. They began to grow exceedingly rich. Now, what would normally be the next verse? Normally, their riches would lead to praying. But this time, what's the next word? But notwithstanding their riches or their strength or their prosperity, they were not lifted up in the pride of their eyes. Neither were they slow to remember the Lord their God, but they did humble themselves exceedingly. So they shortcutted through the pride cycle. Their prosperity made them humble. How? What did they do? What was the secret? How did they shortcut through the pride cycle? Emma? They remembered God. They remembered God. If you remember God, you are grateful for your blessings. You recognize it was His hand that brought them. And so you don't brag about them. You're humble about them. And there's the shortcut. But let me show you another shortcut. The Book of Mormon illustrates another shortcut. There's another shortcut. Sometimes when people are in pain, it makes them angry at God and more prideful. Tell me what Laman did with every trial, with every pain that came into his life. What did Laman do? Poor me. He murmured against God. I'm not being treated the way I should. And it was all about him. Some people go from pain to pride. Pride then leads to sin, which leads to greater pain, which causes them to do what? Pride. Can I show you that? Let me show you that reaction. Ready? Turn to Mosiah chapter 10. Let me show you the tradition of the Lamanites. Here's the tradition of the Lamanites. Mosiah chapter 10, verse 12. 
Let me show you when pride, when pain leads to pride, which leads to sin, which leads to pain, which leads to pride again and again and again. All right, book of Mosiah. They were a wild and ferocious and a bloodthirsty people, believing the tradition of their fathers, which is this. Now, look for a repeated word in verse 12. What's the repeated word? Every time they felt pain, they felt wronged. <laughs> wronged. And you're wronged when you're focused on which side of the equation here? Me. Now, go to the next two verses. When you feel wronged, what happens? You see another repeated word? You get wrath. Wronged, wrath. Leads to, verse 17, hate, hurt, want to destroy. And when it's God that's doing it, now you're here. You see that cycle? Do you recognize people in your life that when they're in pain, get angrier and angrier at God and turn further and further away from Him, which is going to cause greater pain and lead to the cycle. So, ready? Let me show you something fascinating. What are my two decisions in prosperity? When I hit prosperity, what are my two decisions? Humility or pride? What are my two decisions in pain? Humility and that is fascinating. Now, if this book is a commentary on the rest of your lives, I think the Book of Mormon is asking you the question, what are you going to do in prosperity and what are you going to do in pain? What are you going to do when everything goes well? And what are you going to do when everything goes poorly? That's the book of Helaman asking you a question. In both circumstances, you get to choose humility or pride. Tell me what this one looks like. Tell me what this one looks like. What does humility in prosperity look like? These blessings are because God is good and kind and generous. Let me show you what that one looks like. Ready? To, I say to a group of college students going out into a world where some of you are going to be so prosperous so good at what you do, so well-known and well-recognized. It doesn't take much in our society to be very well-recognized for doing what you do, does it? Some of you, all of you in one way or another are going to hit prosperity. Let me show you what that one looks like. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7, no, 8, Deuteronomy 8 in the New Testament. I will show you 
what what it looks like. What the war- this is a warning that Moses gave before they entered the promised land. It is a warning I give to you as you go out into this world where prosperity is within your reach. And you are going to be very prosperous. I know it. I can see it coming. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 7. For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of oil, olive and honey, a land where thou shalt eat bread without scarceness, and thou shalt not lack anything in it. I will be surprised if anyone in this room truly spends a night hungry. You will not suffer. I don't think your future is lack. I think your future is abundance. Now, here's the question. Here's the test. Ready? Verse 10. When thou hast eaten and art full, bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in keeping his commandments. Go to verse 12. When thou hast eaten and are full and hast built goodly houses and you dwell therein, and when thy herds and thy flock multiply and thy silver and thy wife, thy, thy gold is multiplied and all that thou hast has multiplied and thine heart be lifted up, don't forget the Lord. Don't say, verse 17, here's the enemy, ready? Here's the enemy. Don't say, my power and the might of my hand hath gotten me this wealth. That's this light. My power got me this wealth. Don't say that. Instead, verse 18, you should say and remember, thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it, it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant. All of this is because of his goodness. Do you see the two? Now, what are you going to do when prosperity comes? Is it about his goodness? Is it about yours? All right, tell me what this one looks like. Tell me what prosperity, tell me what humility and pain, no, humility and pride look like in pain. We've seen this one, right? We've seen wronged, wrath, hate, hurt. I've watched people walk away from God for the silliest reasons. But what it boils down to is I'm in pain and I feel wronged. I feel pain and I feel wronged and I'm angry. And now pain has led to pride. So tell me what humility and pain looks like. Ashley? And I think there's a, hum- there's a humility in the fact that I've done wrong and I need to fix this. But what about when the pain isn't my doing? What does that one look like? Emma? for the hard things I know my mom has shared a story that this person has forgive one of her like in Nazi internment camps like this soldier and she like prayed to have the strength to even shake his hand and forgive yeah and what it really boils down to is God is greater than this problem that I'm facing 
God is greater than my pain. And I trust. I trust that there's a reason. I trust that there's help. I trust that there's a solution. In other words, I trust him. Pain looks like, no, pride looks like I don't trust him because I'm not being treated the way I should be treated. Now, do you see your future? Do you see the rest of your life on this board? I think Helaman is a prophecy of great prosperity coming into your life. Mixed with moments of pain. And what are you going to do? What are you going to do in those moments of prosperity? And what are you going to do in those moments of pain? All right, so which one do you want to tackle first? Should Should we tackle... Should we tackle pride and then maybe we tackle, should we do the negative first? Let's talk about pride. Let's talk about choosing pride. We've seen kind of a wronged. Let me see if I can put some flesh on this. The the beauty of the Book of Mormon is it just illustrates all of these lines so powerfully. We've seen this line, wronged, wrath, hate, hurt. Let me show you this line. Let me put a little bit more on this line. Why does prosperity lead to pride? Let me see if I can add three words to that. Turn with me to, what's the great pride chapter in the Book of Mormon? Jacob 2. Let's go to Jacob 2. In fact, we're going to go to one verse in Jacob 2. I think the brilliance of the Book of Mormon is it finally defines why pride is a problem. I love the Bible, but I've never found in the Bible why pride is a problem. But I can boil it down to one verse in the Book of Mormon. One verse that illustrates exactly why pride is a problem. Jacob chapter 2, verse 13. And I'm going to circle. All right, take a look at that verse. One verse, and I think they have three I think there are three key words that, to me, illustrate this journey from prosperity to pride. All right, ready? Do you think the first word is abundant? That's the problem when you have lots of something. Are you automatically destined to be proud when you have lots of something? No, I don't think abundance is the word. I think the problem is this word right here. Ready? Here's the problem. Anyone agree? If you do, tell me why you agree. Why do you agree? Abby? Um, The comparison. The problem is when I have an abundance, what do I begin to do? When I, have a pro- when I prosper and I have an abundance, what do I begin to do? Look what I have. The problem is that I have more. Now, C.S. Lewis said it this way. And by the way, can I, total side note, 
this time slot next semester is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the writings of C.S. Lewis. Just saying. But, um, okay, here we go. C.S. Lewis said it this way. Oh, not that one. Uh, where'd it go? Oh, I know where it went. I know where it went. Sorry, I just had it. There we go. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only having more of it, only out of having more of it than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but they're not. They're proud of being richer, cleverer, or better looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. That's the source of the problem. It is the comparison, whoops. It is the comparison that makes you proud the pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition is gone, pride has gone. So danger number one is I have more. Now, what are some mores that you've seen Latter-day Saints take pride in? Clearly, having more money is one of them, but it's not the only one. What are some others? Abby? Okay, I have more I have more academics. I have more I have a better GPA. I have higher grades. Therefore, okay, keep going. Give me another more. Common I have more righteousness than you. That is so common among Latter-day Saints. We look around and we say I have more righteousness than you do. And it doesn't matter what it is. As soon as the comparison causes you to notice I have more than you. Let's get to the next word. Going back to Jacob. Jacob chapter 2. Going to the end of the verse. What do I suppose when I have more than you? That I am? I am better. I'm better because I have more. I am better. Now, where does that lead to? As soon as I have more and I'm better, what will I do to my brother? I will persecute. I will rub it in your face. I have more, I'm better, and I will make sure you know it. Tell me how you've seen that. I have more money, therefore 
I'm better, and how am I going to how am I going to persecute? Name a name a way a rich person might persecute you. I'm going to drive a car that you can't afford, and I'm going to make sure you can see me driving it. I'm going to buy a house that you can't afford, and I'm going to make sure you see me in it. I'm going to persecute. Tell me, I have more righteousness, therefore I think I'm better. How does that how does that take for take a persecution form? insignificance. Okay. Okay. I'm going to make you feel stupid. Or I'm going to judge you. I'm going to condemn you and I'm going to shame you because I'm better. I have better grades. It almost always boils down to those four, those three. I, I have more. I think I'm better. Therefore, I persecute you. Now, another form of that is you have more, therefore I think you're better and I'm going to persecute. It's Guess what that's called? Pride. It's still pride. And it still boils down to more, better, persecute. Do you see the problem? As soon as I have an abundance... As soon as I have a prosperity, I begin to compare. I see that I have more than you do. I think I'm better and I persecute. And that's exactly what's going to lead here. This is a dumb game, isn't it? Can I illustrate how dumb the game is? Don't laugh, but this is very appropriate. Ready? Watch for more, better, persecute. Ready? Now the star belly sneeches had bellies with stars. The plain belly sneeches had none upon thars. Those stars weren't so big, they were really so small. Now listen to Dr. Seuss throw this in. You might think such a thing wouldn't matter at all. But the star belly sneeches, come on. But, but because they had stars on the belt, on the, no, because, but because they had stars, all the star belly sneeches would brag, we're the best kind of sneeches on the beaches. With their snoots in the air, they would sniff and they'd sort, will have nothing to do with the plain belly sort. And whenever they met them, when they were out walking, they hiked right on past them without even talking. Do you see the persecution? I'm not going to talk to you because I'm better because I have more, more, better persecute. It's always the same thing. When the star children went out to play ball, could a plain belly get in the game? Not at all. You could only pay, play ball if your bellies had stars and the plain belly children had none upon theirs. When the star belly sneeches had frankfurter roasts or picnics or parties or marshmallow toasts, they never invited the plain belly sneeches. They left them out cold in the dark of the beaches. They kept them away, never let them come near, and that's how they treated them year after year. It's the same pattern. Book of Mormon got it thousands of years ago. More, better, persecute. Now, who's going to take advantage of this whole game? Who wins this game? And who loses this game? Ready? 
Then one day, it seems, while the plain belly sneeches were moping and doping alone on the beaches, just sitting there wishing their bellies had stars, a stranger zipped up in the strangest of cars. My friends, he announced in a voice clear and keen, my name is Sylvester McMonkey McBean. I've heard of your troubles. I've heard you're unhappy, but I can fix that. I'm the fix it up chappy. I've come here to help you. I have what? Sorry. I've come here to help you. I've come here to help you. I have what you need. My prices are low and I work at great speed and my work is 100% guaranteed. Then quickly, Sylvester McMonkey McBean put, put together a very peculiar machine. He said, you want stars like a star belly sneech, my friend, you can have them for $3 each. Just pay me your money and hop right aboard. So they clambered inside and the big machine roared and it clonked and it bonked and it jerked and it burked and it bopped them about, but the thing really worked. When the plain belly sneeches popped out, they had stars. They actually did. They had stars upon stars. Now, is it about having a star? Is it about having a star? It's not. It's about being better because I have something you don't. And once you level the playing field and you've had a taste of being better, what do you do? I search for a new more. I've got to find a new more because I've had a taste of being better. Then they yelled at the ones who had stars at the smart. We're exactly like you. You can't tell us apart. We're all the same. We're all just the same now, you snooty old smarties. And now we can come to your Frankfurter parties. Good grief grown. The ones who had stars at the first were still the best Nietzsche's and they are the worst. But now how in the world will we know, they all frowned, of, if which, of which kind is water the other way round? Then up came McBean with a very sly wink and said, things are not quite as bad as you think. So you don't know who is who, that is perfectly true. But come with me, friends, do you know what I'll do? I'll make you again the best niches on beaches and all it will cost you is $10 each. Belly stars are no longer in style, said McBean. What you need is a trip through my star off machine. This wondrous contraption will take off your stars so you won't look like Sneetches who have them on theirs. And that handy machine working very precisely removed all the stars from their tummies quite nicely. Now, this is the dumbest thing in the world. What are they going to do? They have a new more, right? What's their new more? We don't have a star, which is the very reason we persecuted you before, because you didn't. Now, we don't. It doesn't matter what the more is. It's insignificant. Your enemy simply wants you to notice a more and then think you're better and persecute because then he's got you. And so as soon as they have a more, which is stupid because it's the thing they persecuted last time. But as soon as they do now with snoots in the air, they paraded about. They opened their beaks and they let out a shout. We know who is new there. We know who is who. There isn't a doubt. The best kind of sneeches are sneeches without. Then, uh, of course, those with stars all got frightfully mad to be wearing a star now was frightfully bad. Then, of course, old Sylvester McMonkey McBean invited them into his star off machine. Then, of course, from then on, as you probably guessed, things really got into a horrible mess. All the rest of that day on those wild screaming beaches, the fix it up chappy kept fixing up sneeches off again, on again, in again, out again, through the machines. They raced round and about again, changing their stars every minute of two. They kept paying money. They kept running through till neither the plane nor the star bellies knew whether this one was that one or that one was this one or which one was what one or what one was who. 
Then when every last cent of their money was spent, the fix-it-up chappy packed up and he went. And he laughed as he drove in his car up the beach. They never will learn. No, you can't teach a sneeze. Tell me why Dr. Seuss is writing this book. We're dumber than sneeches. But here's the hope. But McBean was quite wrong. I'm quite happy to say that the Sneetches got really quite smart on that day. The day they decided that Sneetches are Sneetches and no kind of Sneetch is the best on the beaches. That day all the Sneetches forgot about stars and whether or not, whether they had one or not upon ours. You want the antidote through this pride cycle? You have that moment. It is a dumb game to play, isn't it? I'm smarter than you. I'm prettier than you. I'm more talented than you. I get better grades than you. I'm more righteous than you. I have more children than you. My children are more successful than yours. I went to a better school than yours. It's a dumb game. Who play, Who wins it? Who wins that game? Your enemy. And then when we finally, if you want to succeed in the latter days, you finally wake up and say, I'm not playing the game. I'm not playing the more better persecute game. I'm taking the shortcut. And not very many people know how to do it. If you want to succeed in the latter days, learn how to take that shortcut. I am not better because I have more. Let me give you four antidotes. Don't you think Jacob is going to introduce the problem and then give us an antidote? Let's see if we can find some antidotes. Starting in verse 17, same chapter, Jacob chapter 2, right after he gives more better persecute, he says, here's the problem. As soon as you have more, you think you're better and you start to persecute. So here's the antidote. Antidote number one, may I suggest, is a simple procedure. And that is, think of your brethren like unto yourselves. In other words, treat your brethren the way you're treating yourself. You have been focused on your more. What's the antidote? To see theirs. To see their more. Let me give you an example. Turn to Mosiah chapter 9, verse 1. What turned Zenith completely around? He was sent as a spy. Spies look for weaknesses. Spies look for ways we can destroy you. Now, I guarantee that was based on a more better persecute. We're the Nephites. We're better. So we're here to destroy you, Lamanites. And I'm looking for a way to destroy you. And then what changed? Mosiah chapter 9, verse 1. Tell me what changed. Should we read it together?
What changed? Who wants to read it out loud? What changed? Mosiah 9. Ellie, read it. What's the moment here? What's the moment? I was sent as a spy. I'm trying to destroy them, but read the rest of that. There's the antidote. You getting sick? I'm so sorry. When I saw that which was good among you, I saw your more. Antidote number one. Can I write it here? I'll do it in purple. See there more. Stop comparing, stop comparing and just see what and who they are. See there more. When I saw that which was good among them, I was desirous that they should not be destroyed. That's a humbling factor, right? And that causes me to go from prosperity to humility. Okay, number two, back in, Mos- back in Jacob 2. Let me give you a second one. Verse 18, what's an antidote? What's an antidote to pride? Verse 18, priority. If your priority is God, then you will not play this silly game of who has more. If your priority is God, before you seek for riches, seek for the kingdom of God. When your priority is Heavenly Father and His kingdom, you don't play the silly game. I don't want to win that game. I don't want to beat you in this game. I want salvation for all of us. I want what God wants. The way you defeat the game is you have the priority that God is first. Antidote number two, God first. Antidote number three, why do you have a more? Why do you think Heavenly Father gave you an abundance? Why do you think he gave you this? Let's read 19. Who wants to read? Ivy, would you read 19? Why do you have a more? Why is, Alvi, why is Ivy so incredibly brilliant? So much more than people around her. Why? Let's read it. But after you have obtained a hope in Christ, you shall obtain riches, for if you seek, if you seek them. And you will seek them for the intent to do good, to clothe the naked and to feed the hungry, and to liberate the captive and administer relief to the sick and the afflicted. Why do you have an abundance? Why did God give you the abundance in the first place? And what are you doing with it? See, the stupid thing you're doing with it is you're persecuting people. Well, why did he give it to you in the first place? So that you could bless them. The antidote is to remember that my more, I'm supposed to use my more, and I want to use my more to bless Use your more to bless. That's why you have it. Not so that you can 
persecute people because of it, but to bless them. Remember why you have a more. God's priority. <laughs> See the goodness in them. Let me do one more. Verse 20. Let me read this because I just think you got to read it how Jacob, I think, emphasized. And now, my brethren, I have spoken unto you concerning pride. And those of you which have afflicted your neighbor and persecuted him because you were proud in your hearts of the thing which God hath given you. What's the antidote? I remember where it came from. I remember where it came from. I can't take pride in something he gave me. I shouldn't take pride if I remember that this was a gift from him. Can I share with you a dream that Larry H. Miller had? I remember reading this years ago and it just changed me. I just, I want to be more like Larry H. Miller in this sense. He was being interviewed by Doug Robinson. And this is what Doug's comment was. Miller had a dream that he says was remarkable in its clarity. He was in a high ceilinged room with open skylights and there was a knock at the door. He took a white package wrapped with white ribbon that lay on the table and gave it to someone at the door. Moments later, there was another knock. This time there were more white packages on the table. He took them to the person at the door. The scene repeated itself over and over. And each time he gave away a box, he discovered it had been replaced by many more boxes on the table until eventually they filled the entire room. Where are these coming from? He asked Gail. The only thing I can figure is they're coming through the skylights. They're coming from him. Let me gladly give them away. Do you see the antidote? You remember where they came from. Where did my more come from? I have a dear friend who had a brilliant dream. I don't get inspired dreams. My dreams are garbage. I wake up stressed. But I have a friend who has divine dreams. He shares them with me and I write them down because they, they help me in my teaching. Let me tell you a dream he had. One day he dreamt, I'll, I'll tell it as if it's me, but I'm not taking credit for it. I'll be him. One night I dreamt that I was a beggar in medieval times, dressed in beggar's clothing, begging for food and no one would give it to me. No one wanted to talk to me. Everyone was embarrassed to even be seen with me. Well, trumpets announce the coming of the king. So everyone just brushes me off because no one wants the king to see the beggar. And so they brush me off the street and down the street comes the king's carriage. And when the king gets to where the beggar was, he stops the carriage and he gets out and he finds the beggar. And he lifts the beggar up and he takes a jewel from his crown and he hands it to the beggar and he says, lift this up. And the beggar lifts up the jewel and it starts to glow. And in the light of the jewel from the king, he's dressed like the king. Everyone sees him and he looks like the king. 
and they begin to bow. And that was the dream. And I realized, I'm just a beggar. If there's anything in my life that's worth admiring, it's because the king gave me a jewel and I'm holding it up. And it is the light of the jewel that you see. If you only knew, I'm a beggar. It's pretty hard to take pride in your prosperity if you remember that, isn't it? There's the antidote. With all my soul, I testify prosperity is coming to each one of you. Good things, wonderful times are coming to each one of you. And you're going to be tempted to say, it's me. I have more. I'm better. And to persecute. Don't do that. Instead, find the goodness in them. See who they are. See who everyone else is. The people you're persecuting, see them. See the more that they have. Understand that God's priorities should change the way you act. When you want what God wants, you won't play this silly game. Number three, remember that God gave you a more to bless them, not to beat them up with it. If you have something that other people don't have, it's so that you can make their lives better, not make it worse. And number three, remember that you're just a beggar to whom God gave a jewel. And it is the light of that jewel that allows people to see you differently. Don't ever forget that you're just a beggar. I hope for the rest of your life, when those, when those prosperous moments come, you will choose humility. That you will fall to the, your knees and be grateful for a generous God who has blessed you with something that you can bless other people with. Don't be prideful. When I look around, what's destroying our society is I have more, I'm better, and I'm going to make sure you know it. Let's be different. Let's be different. And you will succeed in the days ahead. I promise you will. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us for Teachings and Doctrines of the Book of Mormon podcast class. This has been class number 12 on pride and prosperity. As we studied the pride cycle, did you identify the great shortcuts? And are you going to shortcut through the pride cycle? What are you going to do when prosperity comes into your life or pain comes into your life to avoid the natural process of pride coming from prosperity? What are you going to do to stay humble in both prosperity and pain.